Welcome to this month's Fraud Talk, the ACFE's monthly podcast. I'm Mandy Moody, your host and the media manager here at the ACFE. And today I am joined by Zach Capers. He is a CFE and one of our research specialists. Welcome, Zach. Thank you for having me. I wanted to have Zach in today because he recently wrote an article for our Fraud Examiner newsletter about the Internet of Things or what the young kids are calling the IOT. The IOT. <laughs> That's what we're all calling it. But the IOT is something that we all need to be aware of and knowing what it is, how it's affecting us, but also knowing the risk that might come along with it. So I wanted to bring Zach on to kind of talk more about that article and about some of the things he outlined. So Zach, you mentioned in your article that we were discussing that according to a forecast by Gartner, the IoT, the Internet of Things, will include more than 25 billion devices by the year 2020, potentially five times more than the estimated 5 billion currently in use. So tell me exactly what is the Internet of Things, IoT, and where did that term originate? The term Internet of Things, uh, it's unclear where it came from. It started appearing in uh, publications in the early 2000s, like uh, Scientific American and Boston Globe had articles uh, referring to the Internet of Things as early as 2002, 2003. What exactly, if you had to define the Internet of Things and how, it's, how this Internet of Things is all working together, how would you define it? The Internet of Things, it consists of various elements that interact together to either uh, increase efficiency, uh, optimize existing technologies, provide real-time feedback. Uh, there's so many uses for it that it's really been difficult to define. The main part of it, it's not the things themselves, it's the way they interact together to, to improve our lives in various ways. What kinds of things make up this interconnectivity? Anything that has a sensor uh, embedded into it. It can be something that's a full duplex goes back and forth, full duplex receives and sends communication, or it can just be passive and just relaying information to an application that then uses that to react. Say you walk into your home and your Nest realizes that you're home, so it automatically changes your lighting, changes the air conditioner, the way you see fit. Uh, any number of uh, automated processes can then uh, go into effect. You can also do uh, you know, active use of Internet of Things, things like Uber or Airbnb. These are like uh, basically platforms for the Internet of Things where you know, we're, we're maximizing our resources uh, by using this technology, whether it's through your phone connected to satellites, then you know, showing you where a fruit, uh, open parking space is or showing where you are so that you can be picked up and taken to this location. It's all automated because of uh, the interactivity of these various things connected to the Internet. So tell me the upside of this kind of technology. Why do people like it? I mean, you hear about everybody using Uber or Lyft or, you know, you mentioned in your article about the refrigerator that knows things, picks up on, picks up on things. Why do people like it so much? Well, part of it is just the appeal to new technology, but uh, some of it is actually very useful. Uh, the Fitbits, you know, you're, you're getting real information on that that you can act on. Being able to remotely view security cameras, you know, while you're busy, you can keep an eye on your home or you can uh, you know, monitor your child's room from another room. While, you know, you could just get up and walk over there, it's, there is, you know, an added convenience. So like I said before, it's, some of it is more useful than others. Uh, well, sometimes it's just simply being done because it can be done. So we're just trying out new technology. And that's part of the problems with some of the risks it's because of the design is the focus rather than security. 
So just like you talked about the the risk you just mentioned, we consistently hear about technology getting better, technology getting easier for the user. With that does come the potential for, you know, bad players or people to take advantage of it. I have a baby monitor at home and I always get freaked out that I'm going to hear somebody talking to me through the monitor because I heard the article about somebody hacking into baby monitors and talking to your kids and freaking them out. You know, we build these things. What are some of the risks that you're currently seeing with this? I mean, the, the baby monitor, uh, that's one of the more famous examples of Internet of Things being hacked or uh, exploited. You know, but that has the potential to happen with any number of devices that are connected to the Internet. And basically, for every device that's added to the Internet, through the Internet of Things, you know, you're opening a new attack vector uh, where there wasn't one before. So it's a new opening to a network. You know, so some of them are more vulnerable than others. Uh, and again, you know, these are you know, this technology that's very new. Uh, it, sometimes it can't be upgraded, or it cannot be, you know, practically upgraded. Maybe it's, it could. You'd have to return the device. Or whatever. There's no good way to update some of the security failings in some of these devices. So if you have a baby monitor hooked up to an unsecured network, uh, it may be a failing of the network or the baby monitor. But we're, we're we're adding complications. We're adding layers to existing situations that are increasing the possibilities for fraudsters to attack. Other problems involve like a lack of privacy uh, or lack of uh, policy uh, regarding security or privacy. Uh, these products are being developed, again, with uh, convenience in mind rather than security. And as we start using this technology more, I think people will become more aware of them just as they have with the Internet. You can get on the Internet now and surf around no problem because people know how to behave, what not to click on. So I think in due time, similarly with the Internet of Things, you know, we will figure out our way around it and it won't be as Yeah, you'll have you know, to be vulnerable. trained again. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned hacking. And in your article, you mentioned that hackers see things like this as a challenge or a game. I actually remember growing up and I had a really good friend who always told us he was a hacker on the weekend. You know, we would just hack into stuff and he wasn't really causing any trouble. <laughs> he just liked to kind of figure it out and then walk away. But why do you think it's so appealing to hackers? And then what happens when it does get in the wrong hands? Many hackers are motivated by curiosity, first and foremost. Like you're saying, when you're a child, and you, 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 know, you want to get into this locked door just because it's locked. You know, and it's similar for a hacker. They just, they, this is what they do, and they want to see if they can get through this. Whether or not they actually have some sort of bad intention, uh, just breaking through, I think, is one of the first motivations. But uh, then you have people who are actually trying to install malware, trying to attack systems uh, purposefully. Uh, this is a way for them to try out new skills, uh, develop existing skills. You know, these are new, very vulnerable, very unsecure systems, whereas like older you know, existing methods of attacking networks, you know, people are on guard for. So you, know, you have these new openings that people are less aware of. For example, the target breach was the example of was uh, an example of, you know, it's, it's hard to say that it was the result of an Internet of Things breach. However, the contractors that breached Target's servers were given access through the HVAC systems, air conditioning systems. Had those HVAC systems been separated from the payment systems, there wouldn't have been a problem, there wouldn't have been a breach. But because there's a lack of awareness that this uh, HVAC system was connected to the payment systems, it was vulnerable and 
hackers broke in and stole the payment information. So this is now people are going to start being aware that their HVAC systems are uh, very vulnerable, and most of them now are connected to the Internet so that you can control them remotely. So it's just a matter of awareness, first and foremost. But what about things where, you know, my husband uses this app on his phone to store all of his passwords, and it just seems so (laughs) ironic to be using this app that, Potentially anyone could get that has all your passwords to everything. Yes, yeah. It's putting all of your eggs in one basket, yeah. so to speak. So you just have to really protect that one basket at that point. As far as executives and everyone, and other people who might have uh, more Sensitive. repercussions for you know their information being put out there, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, those are the people who really need to be unaware of, like, spear phishing attacks that are growing rapidly right now. People are using very directed attacks because they're able to get more specific information from people. Uh, a lot of it is just being taken. Uh, whether or not it's being stolen, it's a different story. Like, this, a lot of the Internet of Things products do not include privacy standards. They do not include any kind of understanding of who's using this information, where it's being, who it's being shared with, uh, how long it's being held. Uh, there's just very little information about any of it. But I'm sure that if there's money to be made off of this information, uh, that somebody out there will make it. Yeah. So it can't be all, all bleak and all bad. <laughs> how do you think we can secure the information? Or do you think it's going to be new versions you know, as the years go by, our user, you know, live and learn, get yeah, burned. Trial and error. Uh, there's going to be a lot of target breaches and baby monitor breaches before it all gets under control and people start demanding security. What do you think companies should be on the lookout for? You know, what are some of the risks involved as a company when using, you know, a lot of people use an in-house message system. I'm trying to think of other, other, way, other types of things where you're vulnerable. Currently, there, people will add all sorts of things to networks without it being approved by IT. And oftentimes, IT processes are slower than uh, the, how fast employees want to move with technology. Uh, and so they, they'll invoke a shadow IT is generally what people call it, where it's kind of IT done without the approval of IT. Or maybe they'll add in something to the network that they find convenient. Maybe it's not even work-related, but it's convenient for them in their, their work day. And then it adds a vulnerability that the network's, uh, that the company's completely unaware of and that someone can monitor. They can just pull up the uh, Shodan uh, web browser or uh, search engine and start looking around for vulnerabilities on a network. And maybe they find your Wi-Fi coffee maker that comes on whenever you walk in the door of your office. Maybe that's hooked up to the network that still has a tunnel in there to uh, you know, customer information that can be taken somehow. So how are companies securing or trying to get a, a handle on what their employees are using? Or do you hire there's, people to do yeah, that? Yeah, you can do There's penetration testers. There's, there's, and I was mentioning the, the Shodan search engine. That's basically, so tell me what that is. It's made for the Internet of Things. and you can, People call it the hacker search engine. But uh, it can also be used as, for marketing purposes to see where your devices are being used. Or it can be used to look for network vulnerabilities uh, to see if potentially you have any open security cameras or 
you know, routers that are just sitting there open or unsecured. You've got any number of things that can be hooked up and Shodan will show you exactly what's open and available. And is on that your just network. a program? It's a search engine. Okay. Uh, it's it's kind of difficult to use, but once you get the hang of it, uh, you can. I mean, people have found access to controlling streetlights. There's all over the world. Uh, anything connected to the internet uh, can be seen through this search engine. How do you keep up to date on everything, like on the latest technology, or you know? How would if one there's stay aware? 25 billion <laughs> devices by the year 2020, how do you keep up on all those devices? Right, and the 25 is, that's a conservative estimate. There are many estimates out there that are saying 50 billion or more uh, devices. Again, it's just, it's happening too quickly to for the average consumer to, to keep ahead a of. And, and I think people often assume the industry has our best interests at heart as far as our security and our safety, but you know, these companies first and foremost are trying to make a profit. So it's uh, we are kind of on our own to an extent as far as uh, the security of our own networks and our privacy of our information, especially. Um, and that comes down to how aware or how much people even care. There's a, there is a big distinction between generations right now as far as how they view privacy and how much or how little they care about it. Uh, so one of my uh, generations, when they're in their late 30s, is probably more protective of their identity and their what they're putting out there than some maybe someone who's 22, 23, uh, who just doesn't see a problem with it and yeah. sees their identity as something to be leveraged to gain you know, information or access or convenience. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, we are going through a, a time of flux right now, and I think it'll shake out eventually. The internet, I think, is growing so rapidly that it's really difficult. To, to forecast at this time. So what are some best practices you would say that, that companies should take to to attempt to secure what they do know is out there? Well, companies should always, they should take stock of every network vulnerability that they have, which is anything connected to the internet. And they need to start looking at anything that hooks up to the Wi-Fi or the network as a potential you know, open door for a hacker. They need to develop uh, privacy policies, I make employees aware of what they should and shouldn't say online or what they should or shouldn't you know, input through uh, the network. Uh, be sure that everything is up to date and patched. Uh, again, a lot of the IoT devices are difficult to update. So sometimes you might just need to remove things from the network, uh, especially if the convenience is not uh, worth the security sacrifice. Uh, Oftentimes people can uh, simply hook things up by uh, a wire instead of Wi-Fi. Uh, if, they're, if it's sitting right next to a router, there's no reason to... You know, wireless connection is inherently less secure than a wired connection, so that's always a simple solution. You should always, always change the default passwords and uh, admin1, password1, uh, which are generally the default on all of these devices. So that should be changed as well. Those are well-known. Any networks that are holding Internet of Things devices should be completely segregated from networks holding any kind of sensitive data um, or access to company information. So if you had to create your own device that would help you out, that actually might be 
helping this interconnectivity, what would it be? I would like something to look in my fridge and tell me what I need at the grocery store and go get it for me <laughs> and bring it home and put it up. I, I think that the smart <laughs> fridge is happening. It's yeah. a thing. Yeah, with the, you, I think they can, can scan it on the way in and it keeps track of how much is left. And uh, with Amazon Echo and the little dash buttons, it'll automatically refill or reorder. There's, they've, uh, we didn't even talk about the Amazon Echo. Which yeah, is it's probably the the biggest, the most invasive Internet of Things uh, that most people have probably experienced so far in their life. Uh, Amazon Echo was just a voice command module that sits in your home, and uh, you just tell it what to do and what you want. Whether you want, you know, an Uber to come pick you up, or whether you want, you know, to play some new song, or you want it to uh, tell you how to make a casserole, or any number of things, you can just ask it. Wow. A lot of people around the world are now speaking to Alexa every day of their life uh, as if it's normal. It's, wow. it's becoming normal. Yeah, I think uh, science fiction has seen these sorts of things coming from very far away. And I think uh, Elon Musk and uh, a few other you know, big thinkers out there have already put together groups to study you know, strong AI uh, to ensure that it doesn't get smarter than us before we learn how to, you know, the singularity. Right. Yeah. You know, people worry about a singularity occurring where the technology gets smarter than us and kind of sees us as a bit of a threat towards its own existence, which is, it sounds, you know, kind of crazy and wacky, but uh, there, is, there are true concerns about that actually occurring. So I think uh, that's a real concern uh, that people are taking very seriously. So what are the liability concerns with something like Amazon Echo and who regulates it? I mean, it's kind of like Bitcoin. It's like we created something before we regulated it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, if, if you ask Alexia for a dozen eggs and it brings you a dozen dozen eggs, maybe it misheard you or maybe you said it incorrectly, but I, I, I'm not sure who can judge that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, who's that on? Right. You know, who does he just pay for? For 144 dozen, eggs? Dozen eggs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it... Recently, I, res I ordered three memory cards and ended up getting eight. And then uh, they wanted me to return all of them to get my three back. It didn't make any sense from my end, but you know, it, it, their system and the, it was such that I there was no method for me to overcome it. So I just did well, what then they the convenience told me to do. <laughs> not worth it. Yeah. Right, yeah. At that point, I'm just yeah. like, well, I wish I hadn't ordered it all. I think the biggest point you made is is convenience worth it? You know, and that's what we'll all have to kind of ask ourselves. You know, companies, individuals, people in these positions of power is what are we going to sacrifice to make it easier? I mean, if you look at chip and pin, so, you know, the U.S. banks didn't want to sacrifice the convenience of not signing. <laughs> right, and, <laughs> so and, and it wasn't cost-effective for them. You know, yeah. To do, they thought that it would... You know, people didn't want to take that two extra seconds to hold their card in and that they might then just not shop. Yeah, So yeah. it wasn't worth the loss in profits for the increase in security. Uh, if a few people get their identities stolen, yeah. you know, you have to break some eggs to make an omelet. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thank you very much. Um, thank you. And thank you all for listening. This month, you can find all of our podcasts on acfe.com slash podcast. 
And this is Mandy Moody signing off, and I will speak to you next month.